Open your book, uh, your book, your Bible, to Romans, around chapter 6, and I will eventually get there. I had that dream a few weeks ago. Everything was jumbled up and confused. People were just seemed to be no clear direction in their life. And uh, the Lord had me to stand in the dream and say, unbelief, unbelief. And what God was saying, there's no direction, there's no, no clear leadership and pattern in your life. Your life is kind of jumbled up because of unbelief. And so we're, we're just asking the Lord to show us if we believe what we say we believe. Do we really believe our beliefs? John eleven forty 40 says, Jesus said this to Martha. He was about to raise Lazarus from the dead. He said, Martha did not say to you, if you will believe, you will see the glory of God. Now, I want to say to you, if you will believe what the Word of God says to you about you as a believer, if you are a believer, follower, disciple, new creation in Christ, if you will believe what the Bible says about you as a child of God, you will see the glory of God. But you know, there's an unusual warning in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 2, where it talks about that people heard the gospel but it didn't profit them because it wasn't mixed with faith. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 2. I want you to listen to what it says about they heard, but it didn't make a difference in their life because it wasn't mixed with faith. Hebrews 4, verse 2. Now listen to this. For indeed, the gospel was preached to us, the good news of Christ, as well as to them, but the word did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those that heard it. In other words, you can hear the gospel, but you don't believe what it says. And I'm not just talking about intellectually, but in your spirit, if you don't believe what it says, it's not going to profit you. In fact, what God meant to bless you would ultimately judge you. So we're asking the Lord to show us if we really believe what we believe. Now, last week, uh, I preached on, do we really believe that God's forgiveness is complete, total, and sufficient? That the sacrifice that Christ made on the cross is all that we need to be forgiven of past sin, present sin, and future sin. And that if we will repent of our sins, which means confess to God our sinfulness, our wickedness, turn from it, and go in another direction by the power of Jesus, if we'll repent and believe that God will absolutely wash our sins away, cast them into the depths of the sea, and never remember them no more. But a lot of people walk around guilty, ashamed, 
accused by the devil? Because they don't really believe in the absolute assurance of God's forgiveness. Well, today we're going to take another area that is unbelievably important in the life of a believer. And that is the righteousness of Christ that is ours when we repent of our sin and place our faith and trust in him. The righteousness of Christ. Now, you've heard this, all heard this example. But I just felt like, it, 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 let me show you what I'm talking about. Do we really believe what we believe? Now, you heard about the man, who, uh, the tightrope walker, who had the wire across Niagara Falls. And he had a big announcement that he was going to push a wheelbarrow on a, on a wire across Niagara Falls. So hundreds of people came, and he got the wheelbarrow, and he stepped out there. And you know how they do it. I can't walk on a platform. They got out there, and they just did like this, and he walked, good gracious, I'm going to fall. And he uh, pushed that wheelbarrow across, and back, everybody just applauded. They applauded. He said, let me ask y'all a question. How many of y'all believe I could put a 50-pound sack of flour in that wheelbarrow and push it across Niagara? Man, you could do it. So he puts a 50-pound sack of flour in there, and he walks across that tightrope, you know, and, and comes back, and they just go crazy. He said, well, let me ask you one other question. How many of you believe I could put a 200-pound sack of flour in that wheelbarrow, push it across? Oh, you can do it, man. You can do it. So he gets a 200-pound sack of flour, and he, boy, kind of I can imagine him walking that tightrope, and he comes back, and everybody just went crazy. He said, how many of y'all believe I can push a human being across this thing on a tightrope? Oh, you can do it. You can do it. He said, who's first? Nobody volunteered. Do you know why? They didn't really believe it. Oh, we know you can do it. But not one of them got in the wheelbarrow. You know, you've got to believe what you believe. And the way you know what you believe is you act on it. And it affects your life. If you believe it, you'll act on it. And it'll affect your life. There's no greater truth the truth of forgiveness by God through the cross, but then the fact that God has given us the righteousness of his son, Jesus Christ, and that the righteousness of Jesus has become ours is just absolutely mind-boggling. I never will forget when Peter Lord came to preach for us years ago. Peter made the statement. He said, I want you to know that every Christian in this place is just as righteous as Jesus. Now, I knew what he was saying, but there was one guy in our church. Oh, my friend, it drove him up the wall for weeks. I tell you, Brother Fred, you know what Peter Lord said? I said, what did he say? He said that we could live a sinlessly perfect life. He believes in sinless perfection, and we can be just as righteous as Jesus. I said, he didn't say that. He just said that God had given us the righteousness of Christ. And so, therefore, we are as righteous as Jesus in our position. I never could get through to him. I, I never could. It just worried him all the time. Of course, sometimes he, I, he concerned me anyway because he went to us to, on a trip to the Holy Land. 
And we were at the place where the supposed to be the tomb of John the Baptist. And he looked at me and said, are we in the Holy of Holies? I said, I said, this guy, he's not going to get it. <laughs> and we went to another place. I'm telling you, this has happened. We went to another place outside the a museum and there was these little cylinders. He said, is that where they keep the Dead Sea Scrolls? I, oh. It was a trash can. So you understand, it was hard for him to get some things. But let, let, let me just give you some verses that will convince you, if you will believe, that you have the righteousness of Jesus Christ, that his righteousness is yours. The first one is 2 Corinthians 5.21. We'll get to Romans later, but 2 Corinthians 5.21. Now, there's no way you can misunderstand this verse. You just can't do it. I mean, if there's anything about it that's hard to understand, I don't know what it is. It says this, for God made him, Jesus, to be sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of of God in him. So basically, what that verse says is this. Brother Ed, when he was teaching this week, said, and, and I've used this many times, I think he got it from me. But anyway, it's kind of like this. Okay, all right, so we're going to let this represent uh, your life. And so he made him to be sin for us. So God takes all of our sin. And he places it on Jesus. He made him to be sin for us. So God takes our sin and places it on Jesus. That we might become the righteousness of God in him. So he takes our sin and places it on Jesus. And takes Jesus' righteousness and places it in us, places on us. So it was God. Now let me ask you something. What would cause holy God who is holy, holy, holy but at the same time is love, what would cause him to punish our sin in his son? You notice it said he made him the father did, he made him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might become the righteousness of God in him God punished our sin in his son and gave us his righteousness. That is an unbelievable, awesome truth. And so we're going to ask the Lord to show us just what it means for Jesus to be our righteousness. I love what uh, Jesus said over in John 8. He said, now listen, and, and, and it was a condition. If you'll continue in my word, you'll be my disciples indeed, and you'll know the truth. The truth about forgiveness, the truth about righteousness. If you, about, if you continue in me and abide in me, you'll be my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. And then it goes on and says in John 8, if the son sets you free, you're free indeed. So the truth about the righteousness that is ours in Christ is a truth that set us free. All right. Here's the first thing I want you to, do y'all have that little 
thing on the, that you put on the screen by Andrew Murray. Have y'all got that? You see, what I, we're trying to do here is just to recall and remember what is ours in Christ. Now, that's Andrew Murray. He needed to shave. But 1828 to 1917 influenced the world when there wasn't video, inter, uh, internet, nothing. Wrote 12 to 14, 20 books, translated in seven languages. Now, I, need, I don't need this picture. I need the rest of it. Okay, here it is. He was saying how complete we are in Jesus was what he was saying. And so I just put this verse up there. For in him, Christ, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead in a body. And we are complete in him. Now, now come on. For in him dwells all the fullness of God in a body. And we are complete in Jesus. I tell you what, I looked up that word complete, and it was an amazing discovery. You know what it means? Complete. Now, you know what complete is. It's complete. Now, this is what he said. He was just confessing the great truth of who he was in Christ. Look at number one. Lord Jesus, thou art mine with all of your fullness, your mind. He was using the language of the day, the vows and all that stuff. All right, let's move on. I can say this. I'm on, it says, your blood is mine. Your blood is mine. It has atoned for all, yes, all of my sins. Oh, he knew it. Look at the next one. Your righteousness is mine. Oh, 100 years. Hey, he knew that his righteousness was in Christ. Your righteousness is mine. Yea, thou, thou thyself, you yourself are all my righteousness. He said, you yourself are all my righteousness, and you make me altogether acceptable to the Father. He said, because I have your righteousness, God can accept me because I have your righteousness. He said, your love is mine in all of its height and depth and width. Thy love, your love is mine. See, he understood. Oh, Jesus, you're talking about your love. It is a habitation in which I abide. I live in an atmosphere of your love. It is your habitation in which I live. It's the very air that I breathe, the love of God. Then he goes on to say, all that you have is mine. Let me just stay there a minute. If you have repented of your sins, confessed them, turned from them by the grace of God, and you're trusting Jesus alone as your Lord and Savior. Everything he has and everything he is is yours. Now, that's so important. I'll tell you why as we go along. It, it, it's all yours, and that's why it's so important. I think there's another one. He said, your wisdom is mine. Your holiness is mine. Your, your light is mine. Your glory is mine. Your father is mine. And he was just talking about, in the simplicity of faith that depends only on thee, I say, God be praised. Jesus, with all of his fullness, is mine. Okay. Now, so let's talk about a part of what is his that is ours is his righteousness. And let's talk about how God provided it. How God provided 
the righteousness of Jesus for us. Now, you're going to see as I get on toward why it's so important that you know this, not just in your head, but in your heart. You see, I read the verse, he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. But right above that, in 2 Corinthians 5, 19, listen to this. God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not charging their sins against them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. It says there, not imputing their trespasses to them. And I've told you many times, impute means to charge. It means to charge to your account. Next time you go and you use a Visa card or whatever card, and you charge something, you imputed what you just bought to that card, and you charged it to your account. And so he says here that uh, God was in Christ, and a part of that was he didn't charge our sin to us when he reconciled us. He charged it to Jesus. And that verse said, God has made him to be sin for us who knew no sin. He charged it to Jesus. He placed our sin on Jesus and placed Jesus' righteousness on us. That we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Why in the world would God do that? Why would God punish our sin in his son? Why would he do that? I mean, it's amazing. And then turn around and give us his righteousness. Well, it's the heart of God. It's the heart of God. And you know, flowing, and the Bible says God is love. Doesn't have love, he is love. But you know, out of the heart of God flows mercy and grace. And see, it all revolves around the fact that God was, is merciful to us. He's merciful to us. He does not give us what we deserve. You either get mercy or justice. You understand? You say, Brother Fred, I want justice. No, you don't. <laughs> oh, no. You would be forever separated from God, die in your sin, and spend eternity in a devil's hell. No, you don't want justice. You want mercy. God doesn't give us what we deserve. Have any of y'all ever been stopped by a highway patrolman and you're going too fast? Yeah? And it wasn't right. It wasn't right. You know, Miss Bertha Smith was going through this town and she looked down at her speedometer and was, had gone over the speed limit. She said, oh my goodness. She went to the police department and turned herself in. <laughs> That's the honest truth. I was speeding. They didn't know what to do with her. There were times I didn't know what to do with her. But anyway, <laughs> but you know, whenever I got stopped by the patrolman, it hadn't been, it's been a good while. It's been a long time. Thank you, Lord. I was just hoping somehow when he came, I was guilty, okay? But you know, you can either get a ticket or you can get a warning. And I was just hoping he'd have mercy on me and give me a warning. Because justice was he was going to give me a ticket. And I tried one time to tell him I was a preacher, and I think he charged me double. I believe that. All <laughs> I never let him know who I was or what I was. But see, 
when you knew you were guilty, but you didn't want justice, you wanted mercy. Hey, we're all guilty before God. We're all guilty before God. There's none righteous, no, not one. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to our own way. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And so we don't want justice, we want mercy. And out of the mercy of God, Jesus Christ, he punished our sin in his son. And out of his mercy, so out of his mercy, he could give us his grace. But out of the heart of God, not only comes mercy, but grace. Mercy, he doesn't give us what we deserve. Grace, he gives us what we, what we do not deserve and can never do for ourselves. Mercy, he doesn't give us what we deserve. Grace, he gives us what we don't deserve. And could never do for ourselves. And so in his grace, God said, you know, I know you don't deserve it. Separated in your sin. He said, but you know what I'm going to do? I am going to give you. I'm going to give you. I'm going to take your sin and place it on my son. And I'm going to give you the righteousness of my son. You don't deserve it. But I'm going to give it to you. And it was out of the heart of God. That God said, I'm going to give you the righteousness of Jesus. You're going to have the righteousness of my son. You know, uh, there's a couple of verses in Galatians. The Bible's so full of this. But, you know, it says in the fullness of time, God sent his son to redeem us from the law, which is trying to earn our own righteousness. Galatians 4, 4 and 5 in the fullness of time, God sent his, in the fullness of time had come, God sent forth of his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. See, that was the mercy and the grace of God. In God's fullness of time, he sent Jesus to take the punishment of the law that we had broken, that we might be adopted as sons. Over in Galatians 2.21, there's another great verse. Now listen to this. He said, if you don't receive the grace of God and realize that Christ is your righteousness, then he died in vain. It says in verse 21 of Galatians 2, I do not set aside the grace of God. I'm not going to just dispel and have not received the grace of God. He said, I'm not going to do that. I do not set aside the grace of God. If righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. And so we realize that God has provided righteousness for us. And we needed it. Uh, Romans 5, 6 says, for when we, were without, when we were without strength, Christ died for the ungodly. Romans 5, 8 says, God commended his love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5.10 says, if when, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, how much more being reconciled will be saved by his life. Let me just say this. It was out of the heart of God that God had mercy on us. And God poured out his grace on us. And it was all through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we repent of our sins and by faith receive the finished work of Christ, Christ himself, God is able in his mercy and his grace to
to give us the righteousness of his son. You know, there is, um, the Bible says that the problem is this. We know that it was cost God's great love and his mercy and grace that he provided the righteousness of Jesus. But here's the difference between Christianity and religion, okay? You know what it is? Religion tries to produce its own righteousness by the works that it does. In other words, if I, if I work, if I work, and the Bible says that we're not saved and righteous by our works, that we work because we're saved and righteous. And that's clear in Ephesians uh, chapter 2. It says, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. No, it doesn't say by good works we are we're created in Christ. Uh-uh, in Christ Jesus we were created. But let me tell you right now, most, many, 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 many people say, well, I, I want to be accepted by God. I want to find favor with God. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to do everything I can to, to earn my righteousness, uh, to be righteous. And it's called works. But now, boy, you want to see something that will open your eyes? Turn to, I finally got to Romans. Turn to chapter 10. Now, I want you to see this. Paul wrote this with a broken heart. Because, you see, he was a Jew. He was a Pharisee. I mean, he was the top of the class. Oh, yeah. But you know, his heart was broken over the fact that his brothers, physical brothers, were trying to do their own, obtain their own righteousness by, uh, by good works. Listen to what he says in Romans 10. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. Now listen to this. I bear witness they have a zeal for God. Man, you can, there are people who are, have a zeal for God and they're working hard and they're striving. They're doing everything they can to live a right life and they're doing all they can and they have a zeal for God. But here's the problem. It is not according to knowledge. He said they're ignorant. Look at the next verse. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness. Ignorant of the fact that God has provided his righteousness to us as a gift through Jesus Christ. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness. In other words, they're seeking to, they're ignorant of God's righteousness that's been provided for them through the death and resurrection of his son. So they're ignorant of that and they're diligently laboring to, uh, to establish, their own, uh, establish their own righteousness and they have not submitted to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Now let me just tell you something right now. There are people all around us who do not understand mercy and grace. They do not understand the full and complete provision of Christ for the forgiveness of their sin and for them to be righteous. And so all they know to do is I'm just going to do what the, the uh, if, I'm just going to do works. I, I, I'll do this and I'll do that and I'll do this and I'll do that. And, and the church says for them to do this and do that and they do it. And the church says for them not to do this, not to do that and they do it. And, and I'm, I'm not against doing right or wrong, but here's the deal. They're trying to earn their own righteousness 
when God has already provided for them through the death of Christ and his resurrection. And so they're just caught up in a religion of works trying to get, be righteous enough to be accepted by God. Listen to me. By your own righteousness, you'll never be righteous enough to be accepted by God. Because the only righteousness that God can accept is perfect righteousness. Did you know it says that in the Bible? Talks about Jesus. Um, about how he wants to present us perfect in Christ. And um, I know where it is. It's in the New Testament. But anyway, I'm not going to do it. It says, we warn every man and we teach every man. This is what it says. We warn every man, we teach every man that we may, we may present them perfect in Jesus Christ. And that means we present them to God in the righteousness of Jesus. They have grown, but we present them in the righteousness of Christ. Okay, you say, Brother Fred? <clears throat> All right. How, how do you receive this righteousness? Now, I, I want to say this to y'all. Uh, I, I, I know this. And I'm living by it. I am. Because I, I know why I'm living by it. Is I know I'm completely forgiven by God. I know that. All my sins are taken care of. Secondly, I know that I have the perfect righteousness of Jesus. I know that. And it affects my life every day. I know it because God says it. And, and you'll see why it's so important. But how do you receive it? Well, you don't receive it by good works. It says, not by, in Titus 3, 5, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and new renewing of the Holy Spirit. So then if we don't get it by working for it, then how do we get it? All right, here it is. Same chapter, Romans 10, verse 6. I love this. We know it, but it just tells us how you receive the righteousness of God in Christ. In Romans 10... And uh, it's um, verse 6. Let's follow it now. But the righteousness of faith, oh, not works. The righteousness of faith speaks him this way. Do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven, that is, to bring Christ down from above, or who will descend into the abyss, that is, to bring Christ up from the dead. What does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word we preach. Now here it is. If you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now look at verse 10. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness. Oh. I thought you would say, Brother Fred, for with the heart one believes unto forgiveness. That's true. Or with the heart one believes that in Christ they'll go to heaven. That's true. But no. With the heart. If you will confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness. You believe that the righteousness of God become, of Christ becomes yours by faith. Here's a person, they realize their sin, they repent of their sins. By the grace of God, they turn from it and they embrace Christ and, and Christ alone. And guess what? 
He not only forgives them their sin, he gives them their righteousness. And from that day forward, from that day forward, the day they're truly converted, God always sees them in the righteousness of Jesus. He never sees them any other way. Never. So we receive the righteousness of God by faith, by receiving in Jesus as our Lord and Savior, the perfect righteousness of his Son. Now, let me close by saying this. Now, what I say, I'm going to close. I don't mean in two minutes, but let me just tell you. Because you've got to hear this now. Okay, God has provided for us the perfect righteousness of his son. And he could do that because he punished our sin in Jesus, put our sin on him, and then turned right around and gave us the righteousness of Jesus. And that is our position. We have the righteousness of Jesus right now. But God's provision of righteousness, when it is received by faith, results in the practice of righteousness in our life every day. Okay, my position is this. Jesus Christ has forgiven me of all my sin. I am forgiven. And by faith, I have received him, and now I have received also his righteousness. So I am forgiven and I have his righteousness. But when he gives you his righteousness, it produces the practice of righteousness in your life. It doesn't mean you can go around and say, whoopee, I can do anything I want to. I'm, I have the righteousness of Jesus. I can just live like the devil. Where in the world did you get that? No, when we receive the righteousness of God in Christ, man, it, it means we start practicing righteousness by the presence of Jesus in us. And friend, if you don't practice righteousness, I'm not sure you have the position of righteousness. Let me give you the verses. It's right in the Bible. All right? In Christ, we can live a righteous life. Turn to Romans 6, verse 4. And it just says here that it's when we come to Christ in repentance and faith, then we're identified with him in his death and resurrection. It says, verse, uh, uh, verse 5, Knowing this, our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that we should no longer serve sin. Back in verse 5 says, If we've been united with Jesus in the likeness of his death, we shall be like him in the likeness of his resurrection. Our old man was crucified with him that the body of sin might be destroyed. Verse 8, it says, For if we died with Christ, he put to death our old nature in Adam. We believe we shall also live with him. And you go on. And uh, in verse 10, For the death he died, he died unto sin once. But the life he lived, he lives unto God. Okay, now, I want you to see this. He said, when you, when you uh, became a child of God, you entered into the death of Christ. God put to death your sinful nature in Adam. But you also entered into the resurrection of Christ because you died in Adam, but God raised you from the dead spiritually in Christ. So we died in Adam, but God raised us from the dead in Christ. And, and we have spiritual life in Christ. He said, if you died with him, you were united with him in his death and resurrection. He died unto sin once. Verse 10, he lives unto God. Likewise, 
you reckon yourself to be dead to sin, but to alive, alive to God. Now, now, what is he saying here? When you entered into Christ and Christ entered into you, you were united with him in his death and your Adamic nature was put to death, but you also united with him in his resurrection. That's why we baptized by immersion. We baptized the old life that was put to death in Adam. And then we raised the new life, which is a new creation in Christ. He said, you were united with him in his death death and resurrection. So now, because of that, you counted a fact that you are dead to sin and alive to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, before I got saved, I was alive to sin and dead to God. But after you get saved, you're dead to sin and you're alive to God. Now, think of the difference. Reckon yourself to be dead to sin and alive to God. Now, verse 13, listen to this. Don't miss it. Do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness. Don't let your eyes be an instrument of unrighteousness. Don't let your ears be an instrument of unrighteousness. Don't let your tongue be an instrument of unrighteousness. Don't let your hands and feet be instruments of unrighteousness. It's a word, word there's weapon. He said, do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness. It says over there, because now you're no longer a slave of sin. You're a slave of righteousness. Look at verse 16. Listen to this. Do you not know to whom you present yourself slaves to obey? You are that one slave. Whether you obey, whether of sin leading to death or obedience to righteousness. Thanks be to God, you were the slaves of sin, but you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine that was uh, delivered to you. And having been set free from sin, you became servants of righteousness. I tell you one thing, when you get saved, you not only are forgiven and you not only receive the righteousness of Christ, but you start living a righteous life. I didn't say you live a perfect life, but you live a righteous life. And boy, I'm going to tell you who nails it. You see, you, you can know you're in Christ and you have his righteousness when you're practicing righteousness. You know it's real. Over in John, 1 John, and uh, I want you to listen to this. He tells us. Uh, and you go over to 1 John chapter 3, verse 6 and 7. Now, listen carefully. Boy, it's so clear. It's so clear that the provision of Christ's righteousness produces righteousness in our life. In verse 6, whoever abides in Jesus does not practice sin. Whoever sins doesn't really know him, hasn't really seen him or know him. Little children, now get this, let no one deceive you, okay? I don't want to be deceived. He who practices righteousness is righteous, just like he is righteous. He said, now don't you be deceived. If you practice righteousness, you're righteous just like he is righteous. But oh, go down to verse 10. This makes it absolutely clear. There's no way you cannot misunderstand this. In this, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. I'd like to know the difference. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. Oh, Brother Fred, I not only received 
the perfect righteousness of Jesus as a gift from God. It is a gift from God. I've received abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness. I not only received this righteousness as a gift from God, now by the presence of Christ in my life, I practice righteousness, and that's a sign I'm a child of God and not a child of the devil. Listen to what it says. In this the children of God and the children of the devil are manifested. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor he who does not love his brother. There's no part of that I can't understand. Okay, so you not only get the righteousness of Christ, it's yours. But now because he lives in you by his spirit, you practice righteousness, and that's a sign that it's real. That's a sign that you really have the righteousness of Christ because you practice righteousness. Now, let me tell you why it's so important. You know why it's so important to know you're forgiven? Really know you're forgiven. And you know why it's so important to know, to really know that you do have robing you the righteousness of Jesus. The prodigal son came out of the far country and the father put a robe around him. Beautiful picture of the righteousness of Christ. Because let me tell you about the devil. You know what he is? He's the accuser of the brethren. He constantly accuses Christians. He constantly accuses God's children. Well, who are you to pray? Well, who are you to pray? Or who are you to tell someone about Jesus? Or who are you to think that you're light and you're salt in a dark and decaying world? Well, I mean, who do you think you are? Let me tell you something. When the devil accuses you and says, who are you to pray and who are you to witness and who are you to think you're light and salt in this office? And who are you to think that you have access to God? And who do you think that God has accepted you? And who are you to think that one day you're going to spend eternity to God? Look at your, your life was a mess. Who do you think you are? You say, let me tell you who I am. I am completely forgiven by God. And on top of that devil, you put this in your pipe and smoke it. I am robed in the righteousness of God. Well, buddy, that drives the devil crazy, and he runs and goes. Hey, listen, he accuses me all the time. Who are you to preach? My wife will tell you I'm not perfect. Who are you to preach? I said, I'll tell you who I am. I am completely forgiven by God, washed in his blood. My sins are forever gone. And this very moment, I am robed in the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ, and there's nothing you can do about it. And he's defeated. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. You overcome him by the word of your testimony. Guilt, shame, the accuser comes. You know you messed up last week. You know you messed up last week. You blew it. You say, yeah. But I'll tell you one thing. I'm completely forgiven by God. I've repented. And I am Robed in the righteousness of Jesus, I'm accepted by God. Can't do anything about that. And I'm not turning back. I'm just going to keep on. There's just a bump in the road. I'm going to keep trusting Jesus. 